I've shared this story before, but um, for those of you that haven't heard, and if you have, just laugh again at the funny parts, okay? So uh, several years ago, my, my sister got married I, three or four years ago now, and so uh, we have a strong connection to Spain because my uh, grandparents were missionaries there. So after her wedding, the day after her wedding, uh, some of the wedding party decided that they wanted to run in a local town with the bulls. Now, I'm a very calculated individual. I, I weigh the risks of different situations that happen, and I go, okay, this is not worth it. Like when my dad told me, hey, you could come jump out of a plane with me, I said, nope, I'm, I'm great. No, I'm really good. I woke up, and I'm just going to eat some Cheerios today. And, um, you know, so, but this, this experience came and, and, uh, you know, six or seven of the guys said, okay, this is, you know, let's do it. Let's run with the bulls. This is not the big one that you see in their main, you know, in one of the major cities in Spain. This is one of the smaller ones. So we drive 10 minutes to this town very close nearby. And I have never been to a running of the bulls. I didn't know what to expect, but this place was packed. Old Spanish town, thousands of people from all the surrounding towns. It looked like a Chicago parade. I mean, people were, you know, they had a clear path. It was tons of people, you know, behind all these, you know, wood slats and, and just thousands of people. Everyone's dressed up. They're having bands go through the stage, trumpets. People are dressed and dancing. I mean, this was a whole parade that went on before the bull run. And so I showed up there with the guys and the girls. I was not planning on running. I'm not crazy. So I show up there, and uh, you know, the, basically all the guys jump out, and, and, and they're going, and I felt uh, they all jumped into the street, and all kind of the young guys started like kind of getting ready for like the bulls. Like kind of all the parade, all the sane people left the street, got on the side, and every, all the young people were like, yeah, you know, my dad was out there. Everybody was there talking. It's still a couple minutes before it starts. And so I was like, I kind of looked. I saw myself with all the girls and felt a little peer pressure, jumped out onto the other side of it, got in the street. And, and then um, my fearless leader, Mark Job, then jumped back over on the other side. <laughs> I said, What's going on? Why are you leaving me? He's like, yeah, my foot, my ankle. It's never been verified to this day, but foot and ankle story. And, and um, so I'm out there, and, I, and I'm out there in the street, and, 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 and now it's like coming down. Now there's like, you know, 50, 100 people in the street. It's a few people, and it's just empty in front of us and empty behind us. And I've, I did not prepare for this. I'm in jeans. I mean, I'm just not ready. You don't run in jeans for your life. I'm in jeans, I'm here, and my brother, and my brother Grant was with me, and so the planner goes, okay, okay, you know, we got to, like, let's start running here, we can, like, see the bulls, and then we'll, like, jump off down here, like, jump off into the, into the wood to be safe, like, on these, kind of, like, these walls on each side of each thing. He's like, okay, okay, okay. And I'm just copying what everybody else is doing as they prepare, because now we're waiting. These guys are stretching, so I'm starting to stretch, and... Like, okay, this is what they, I mean, they're like really stretching. I'm like, okay, I got to really stretch and I'm really getting ready. They're kind of going like this. So I'm just like jumping with the Spaniards. Like, okay, like this is what we do. And then a cannon no, go, goes off loud, like a bomb. Boom. People are getting, there's a, boom, the second one. People are cheering. They're getting excited. And you hear the third boom, boom. I mean, loud. I'm like, I don't even have liquid in my mouth to talk anymore. My heart is beating through my chest. I'm still wondering if this is the right decision because I could still jump out on the fence. And, you know, is, am I, this is just a test of my manhood. Is this pride? Am I going to be in heaven in two days, like in, in two hours? And so this is my heart's beating. I'm like, <sighs> I'm getting ready. I see, so it's like this long L path. I see these uh, people turn the corner and they're like way down and they're running towards us. And we're with the like second group of people and they're running towards, they're running towards, but I can't see the bulls. So I'm like, I'm like trying to get an eye because the plan was you see the bulls and you start running. You know, you don't want to run way before the bulls. Then you're kind of like a coward. So I'm like, all right, where's the bulls? Like, where's the bulls? So then these people are literally, some of them are running past us and we're like, okay, where are these bulls? Like, I can't see them. And then, oh, oh, 
the crowd breaks open. And let me tell you what they told us, by the way, too. I don't speak Spanish, so everything's secondhand here. What they told me is, no, no, this is not like the big one. Those are the big city, big bulls. Small city, small bulls. I was like, got it. That's all I need to know. So me and Graham were expecting these small bulls. The crowd parts way like the Red Sea at Moses. And the biggest bull I have ever seen in my life is way closer than I thought it was moving way faster than I thought it was, downhill, and I'm not kidding, I, it's like those, in those the movie scenes where you see just everything freeze, everything froze, and I just, I, the whole plan went out the window, I just thought, run for your dear life. <laughs> and I turned, I was, I was running the fastest I have ever run in my life. It was like, a, it was like there was a train behind me, there was a bull, literally, I'm running. And, I'm running his heart and I'm like turning back and this bull's gaining on me and I am running, praying, singing, whatever I was doing. I was like, Lord, use your angels to use their wings to do something right now. I'm running and running and running. And literally the bull gets right on me and I was like, okay, I gotta jump off. So I climb on the, the wall and people kind of move aside and they pat you on the back like, oh yeah, you did a good job, you did a good job. <sighs> okay, are we done? And then they're like, they point me like, no, you got to go back in for the second round of the bulls. So then we get back in the second round of the bulls. They turn the bulls around. The bulls start coming back. Same thing. But the challenge on this side was that there was a bridge. And the bridge, unlike all the other walls where you can jump off, the bridge was a straight like 50-foot drop. So you didn't, you couldn't like, <laughs> do either the bulls or the bridge. You don't run on the bridge. So we get to the bridge. The plan was to stop before the bridge. The bulls start coming, right? Mike Tyson, when you get punched, the whole plan goes out the window. The bulls start running again. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna stay in front of the bulls, but they're not close enough. So I start running on the bridge and the bull starts catching up to me. Once again, I am in jeans, trying to run tight, like skinny, like jeans, like the ones you can't run in. And I'm running and I just barely, I mean, it was feet, maybe two, three feet from me. The, the horn almost hit me, and I jumped off again right to the side, and they, and they pat you on the back, and then the bulls finished in the arena. The one thing my dad told me is don't lose your brother Grant, and that is exactly what I did. <laughs> I, didn't have no, I didn't have any, and my dad was like, jumped down to the street once the bull, he was frantic, because he, he knew my mom. He's like, where's Grant? Where's Grant? Where is he at here? Grant told me later that he totally forgot that he had a brother while he was running with the bulls. Like, he's like, I didn't even, totally forgot you even existed. And I thought to myself, like, as that experience is closed and ended, I I've thought to myself, um, one, you literally could have died. We saw one point where the guy, one guy fell along the wall and the bull's horn, I'm not kidding, there's a, literally a photo and a video of the bull horn going like this and he was five feet in front of us. This missed his throat. And I thought back, like, would I do it again? People said, oh, you do it again? What do you do when I come? Uh, no, <laughs> I wouldn't. But if I did do it again, I thought this. If I ever, like, had the pressure and decided, okay, one more time, I'm gonna be an idiot, then I decided what I would do is I would make sure that I prepared. I wouldn't wear the jeans I was wearing, I, you know, tight jeans I was wearing and the wrong shoes. I'd make sure I got some Adidas, Nike, you know, some type of pants, shoes. I would be neoned up, wouldn't be, I'd be ready to run, sweatband on the head, ready to go because, hey, listen, if I'm going to put myself in an environment that's going to be hostile, that may take my life, that may be the end of me, that will be high pressure, I want to be prepared. And each and every one of us have situations and experiences where we're in a high-pressure, hostile environment, an environment where if you're not prepared, you will either get hurt or something will go wrong. We go through things like this. And as I was studying scripture this past week, I realized, I was thinking about it, I was, I was thinking that we really, as a, a people of God, really as a nation, as a city, we will be entering sometimes that for Christians, for people of faith that hold to the truth, will be more hostile, dangerous, and if you're not prepared, you're gonna get knocked out. I'm thinking about the times that are in front of us. I'm 
taking a you know, temperature read of what's going on around me, and I'm realizing that there's, in our culture right now, there's a lot of relativism, which means basically there's a lot going on where people are kind of accepting everything as truth and abandoning other truth. And I don't know if you know this, but Christians, Right now, many of us have become aware of it because of Afghanistan, as we're hearing reports of Christians being persecuted. Um, and we don't typically experience that type of persecution in America. But right now, about 90,000 Christians are martyred, which means killed for their faith, every single year. Every year. 90,000 of people that claim to be Christian all over the world are killed because of what they believe. Now, we, not, we may not face that type of persecution now, and maybe that will be in the future. Only God knows. But all of us will, will face the pressure of a culture and an environment that increasingly is opposed or against the values and beliefs and ideas of Christianity. America's fastest growing religious group is, interestingly enough, not really a religious group. The fastest group over the last 10 years that has grown religiously in America is the religiously unaffiliated. The people who would say, I am nothing in particular. And as society becomes more loose with the truth, we as Christians need to be more, we need to hold more firmly to it. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he also says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we know that truth doesn't change. Jesus stays the same. His truth stays the same. And even though our world may uh, hear our views and think they're outdated or traditional or old, I'm okay with that because truth doesn't change. And I believe that for us in our workplaces, in our schools, in our society, that it will be more difficult to live out our faith and to be bold to be Christians, to share the ideas that you believe and you believe for a long time, or maybe you're a new Christian. And so I feel the duty to share with you this morning and talk to you about how to prepare ourselves to navigate a culture and a world that will be hostile to our beliefs. And we are going to go to a perfect place in Scripture to talk about this. We're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 2. And Peter was writing, the Apostle Peter was writing to Christians who were experiencing a hostile environment. They were living in a country that wasn't the majority Christian, that had an issue with their views and their beliefs, and they had to learn to be strong and how to navigate a culture that was wildly opposed to what they believed which I think is a perfect place for us to go to. So if you're taking notes this morning, talking about preparing ourselves to navigate, write this down for yourself. We need to grow in our understanding of the word. If you want to prepare yourself for a season of opposition, a season where people will have drastically different views and will disagree with you and call you names and things because of what you believe, you need to make sure that you grow in your understanding of the word. First Peter chapter two says, verses two says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, one of, the, uh, one of my bright lights in this past uh, a year, uh, a little bit over a year now, has been the fact that I became an uncle. I became an uncle. And uh, I have never really spent a lot of time around newborn babies, but because my sister had this baby, I was able to spend a lot of time around her newborn baby, baby Finn. And, you know, I've learned a lot. I've loved being an uncle. He's actually here. I don't know where he's at, but we're wor he was worshiping in the back, and this is how he worships. He worships like this. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, we're just, I tell my favorite thing is, what's the lion saying? He goes, rawr, rawr. And I'm just loving this season, but, but as I, one of the things I've just been blown away by is how quickly this dude grew. I mean, 
This boy had rolls he was eating so much. He looked like a little like Michelin man, like a little like workout guy because he had just had so many rolls of fat on him and he was on the highest uh, you know, you know, trajectory of growth. But I was shocked when I was around him that this dude pretty much just ate. Milk, okay, yeah, didn't he just have a bottle? Yeah, you gotta give him another bottle in two hours, okay. Like, then you're watching him a little bit like, hey, you gotta give him another bottle. It's like, dude, like, this guy's always eating, man. He's more than me. <laughs> so much smarter, like milk, 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 milk. And, and he just wanted that milk all the time, loved it. He would like, <sighs> he was just so excited to get that milk. And, but you know what, as I watched him, he grew because he was taking in all the nutrients and the health and consuming all the calories that were found in this milk. And what Peter's saying is, listen, think about the newborn baby. If you've ever had one, think about the baby and how that baby craves that milk. And I think about Finn. He says, you and I grow by consuming. And specifically, we grow in our faith, Christians, when you consume the word of God. When you make sure that you're reading the Bible or you're listening to the Bible, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm trying to get through the entire New Testament before the end of the year, and I'm listening, basically just listening to the Bible. I am listening to the Bible because I want to know what my beliefs are, and I want to learn about Jesus. And so the more that I listen or read about Jesus, the more that I understand the character of God and how God functions and how God wants me to function, and so it steers and directs my life. Faith comes by the hearing of the word. See, we need to grow in our faith, and this is what Peter says here, crave pure spiritual milk, which is scripture, by it, the consuming of the word, you may grow. So if you're at a place right now, and I've been there, and there's often, I, I always want to go to the next level, where you feel like, man, I, I know some things, but I really want to go to the next level in my faith. I really want to grow. I really want to go beyond where I'm at. Can I tell you, Scripture's answer to you is make sure that you're in the Word, because when you're in the Word, you're consuming milk just like a, a baby, and you will grow into maturity. It doesn't just say grow, but like I said here in maturity, it says grow, understand what you believe, creates faith, and then creates action. We don't just stop at growing, but Peter here says, so that by it you may not just grow, but grow up. The goal is that you know the word of God to be able to withstand basically things, lies that are not the truth of the word of, the word of God. Listen, listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 through 16. Right before he says, and the knowledge of the son of, the son of God, you will become mature, right? Taking in the word of God, by that you grow in maturity. And then verse 14 says this, then we will no longer be infants. He's talking about spiritually, right? You're a grown adult, I'm a grown adult. Then you will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and blown there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. You say, well, why? You know, I, I want to grow to my faith, but, but what, what's so good about maturity? Well, what Paul and Peter are both saying here is, listen, when you take in the word and you grow up in the faith, you become more sure of what you believe and you're able to withstand things that are not the truth. In a culture that believes that everybody can have their own truth, Live your truth is the slogan of the day. Live your truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. You have your beliefs, I have my beliefs. Hey, we can just all try to figure out how they connect together. Well, what about when truths conflict one another? And your truth is against my truth, or your, your truth says something about, then things start to fall apart really quickly because truth is not subjective. Truth is given to us from, from God Almighty himself. And when you're young in the faith and you're surrounded by a culture that believes different things than you, it's easy to buy into the lies 
or buy into things that are not truthful simply because you don't know enough yet. When someone comes to you or comes to me and says, yeah, you know, you have your religion, I have my religion, I've had this conversation many times, yeah, there's just a bunch of different paths and they all lead to the same destination. That sounds really good. If I'm a young believer, I go, yeah, I mean, bunch of different roads, Jesus is my path, maybe yours is Allah or Buddha, we'll all figure it out, and they all just kind of end in nirvana, heaven, paradise, whatever that looks like. You say, yeah, it sounds good. You know what? That thought is widely accepted in society, but it's not the truth. Jesus says, to repeat again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is exclusive. He doesn't say I'm one of the paths, I'm a different option, I'm the fastest path. Jesus says I'm the only way. I'm not in these other paths. There is one way to being cleansed of your sins. There is one way to being right with God. There is one way to eternity in heaven. And Jesus says it's through him. So anyone that says anything opposite, as good as it sounds, as nice as it sounds, as appealing as it is to the ear, it is not true. And what Peter's saying is, listen, as you're living in a culture of people who are going to tell you things like this, if you don't understand the words of Jesus, then you will succumb to the lies of the enemy. If you don't know what Jesus' word says about he's the only way, then we go, yeah, I guess, I guess there's Jesus is one way and there's and a bunch of other ways because you don't know the word, the scripture. You need pure spiritual milk so you can grow in maturity. And once we've grown in maturity, when a teaching goes that sounds good, other people may be pushed by it, but you and I can stand firm in it saying, no, I know what you're saying. I felt that wind or that wave before, but I know what Jesus says and I stand on the word and the promises of Jesus in his scriptures. There will be a lot of things. And let me say this too, you know, because he finishes and he says, listen, he says, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, you will not have a craving for something that you haven't tasted yet. You can't crave a spicy chicken from Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Layered with bacon, three strips. No pickles, don't want to dilute the taste. Lettuce wrapped on top like a baby's wrapped by its blanket. <laughs> I could put a picture on the screen. You may salivate a little bit. You may want it, but you can't crave it until you've tasted it. Hey, once you've tasted how good God is and who Jesus is and what he's done in your life, and you are just moved at the deepest level of who you are by what he's done for you and that he's chosen you and washed you and cleansed you of your sins, when you understand that God never leaves you or abandons you, but he's in a hospital room with you and your workplace with you, that he has deposited his spirit in you to be a guarantee of what's to come in the future, when you understand that he doesn't just call you to be a servant, but calls you to be his son and daughter, that he's called you into his family, when you've tasted and seen how good God is, you don't want anything else, but you have to taste and see to crave like a newborn baby what it means to know Jesus. Yeah. Paul pretty much says in, in, in the New Testament, I count it meaningless, everything else. The highest thing I can achieve in my life is knowing Jesus more. And it needs to burn in your spirit. As the culture around you believes and tells you, no, here, feel this wind. What about this teaching? What about this? This sounds good. This because what about this? As you hear these things, if you don't know the word of God, you will be swept away in the wind and the waves of teaching. Sounds good, and it leads you astray to a dead end, of, away, a ways away from Jesus. So we need to make sure that we grow in our understanding of the word. Number two is this. We need to know that we are not the same anymore. We are not the same. Listen to what Peter says, verse 9 and 10. He's speaking into our identity, who we are now. 
He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. On Facebook, if you have Facebook, Every once in a while, while you're scrolling through your feed, you see that there's status updates or status changes. Some more significant than other ones, but these are supposed to be big changes that kind of you want to let people know that you've made in your life. Some are interesting. Sometimes you see, uh, you got to ask yourself, do I like this or not? You see a relationship change to it's complicated. <laughs> do you comment on that one and like, or is that one you just, I'm just going to pass up? I'm just going to. Somebody else's issue. I got married within the last year in my status. I don't even know if I officially changed it on there, but I, uh, should, I'm married. And I believe it says on there, I'm married to Carolina Job. My, my status changed. Seen a lot of people's jobs change, as we're in the great resignation, as economists have, economists have called it. A lot of people are changing and resigning from jobs, and so I've seen a lot of left here and now started my new job here. 3% of Americans moved last year, and so a lot of people moved from Chicago, even though they loved the taxes and they loved the winter. They said, no, we love it so much, but we're going to go. And it seemed like everybody went to Texas, Tennessee, or Florida. and uh, warmer places for the most part. Status changes, where you live, what you do for work, what your relationship is. And what Peter's telling us here is, listen, if it was on Facebook, he'd say, listen, you have had a status change, a status change to the greatest degree, more important than all the other ones, you have had a status change. You have been brought, I think the first one it would say, if it was updated on your profile, would say, you were dead, and now your status change is you are alive. You were dead in your sins, you were dead in your transgressions, you were dead apart from Christ, but you heard the message of the gospel, you received it with faith, and now you were dead, but your status changes, now you're alive. And he goes down a list of really things where your status has changed. He says, listen, you used to not be the chosen people, you used to just kind of be enemies of God, but he says, now you're the status change, chosen people of God. Call, chosen, he picked you specifically. He said, I want you in my family, status change. Jesus said, hey, there's a, Peter's saying, there's another status change you need to be aware of, that you used to not be a priest, but now you uh, under scripture are a royal priest. You're part of the royal priesthood. That's crazy. And what that means is Old Testament, how it used to be is in the Old Testament, God would choose the priest and the priest would represent the people to God Almighty himself. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, he would go into the temple, which is the representation of God's presence, and he would go into a place that only the high priest went into. It was called the Holy of holies. And he would go in there and he'd make a sacrifice to God, but he was the representative, a high position in the, in the Israelite culture and, and nation, that he was the high priest, a coveted high position, that he was the one that was before God. Well, when Jesus died, if you read the Gospels, it says that the curtain to the temple, the Holy of Holies, was split from the top down to the bottom. God was signifying to us that he said, listen, I am making a way and you will no longer need a man or a human being to mediate on your behalf to me. When you trust in Jesus Christ, he's your mediator and you, you don't have to talk to me to talk to God. You can talk right to God yourself because of what Jesus has done. Hey, status change. You are now a priest of God called by God and you can communicate directly with God. You don't need to tell me your prayers. I'll pray for you. But you, if you're a Christian, you have access by Jesus, the Bible says, confidently to come into the throne room of Almighty God. Status change. 
Peter's trying to help us understand our identity. He said, status change. You were once a, a people of your nation. Now you're a people of my nation. He says, you are a holy nation, a nation of people set apart from the others. It's not a nation bound by geography because there's Christians all over the world, but it's a holy nation before God Almighty himself. Status change. He says, you are my special possession before you were your own. But status change, now you're God's possession. He owns you. He bought you. Your life is not yours anymore. He be you belong to Almighty God himself. You are his cherished masterpiece. He wants you, loves you, made you his own. Status change, you're now a possession of Almighty God, chosen by Almighty God. And then he says this, and it's kind of the last one he gives us of our status change. He says, called out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Called out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Do you know the word in the New Testament that you see when you see in English church is the Greek word ekklesia. Ekklesia, what, it, what this word means is the called out assembly. The called out. So when we say the word church, we're not just talking about a group of people. Literally, the translation at the original language is, you guys are the people that have been called out from darkness into light. That's the translation. And, and, and Peter's saying, status change. You used to live in darkness. You used to live in sinfulness. You used to live in brokenness. You used to live apart from God. You used to live holding the penalty of your sins. But status change, you used to be in the darkness, but now you're called out and you're into the light. You are the people of the light, the people of God. You don't live like that anymore because God called you out of there to now be in his marvelous light. Status change. And it's important for us to understand who we are in Christ, what the status change has been, because as the culture gets more hostile, as the pressure gets harder to live for Jesus in our schools and in our workplaces and at our family gatherings, you need to remember who you are because you are not the same person that you used to be. Your identity changes the way that you act. There's a study that was done that I read a, a, a couple months ago. There was a study that was done of people that they brought and they gave them white lab coats. And they told them to put on these white lab coats. It's like 20 people. They told them to put the lab coats on. 10 of those people, they told them, hey, you're painters, you know, and go do this job. They had the same task for them to do. The other 10 people, told, they told them the, the, the scientists or experiment people told them, hey, listen, you guys are doctors. And they had them do the same task and they observed them. They said, okay, let's kind of watch. How do they act? Okay, you're doctors. They didn't, different rooms, different groups, and you guys are painters. Now do this task. And what they found is the way that people viewed themselves changed the way that they acted. The people that thought they were painters were a little bit more sloppy in the way that they did things. They were a little bit like, hey, just get the job done. There, there were certain qualifications that they're like, whoa, this whole group of people is acting a certain way because they think that they're painters. And this group over here, they were really meticulous. They were really pointed. They talked a little bit. They were like, whoa, these people are acting different because they think that they're doctors. They're acting out of the mindset of a doctor. How you view yourself and what you think about yourself will be a huge impact about the way that you live your life. You just think, oh, I'm just somebody. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm just kind of one of God's. And, you know, I'm just, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm different, but not that different. You think that you're going to live that type of life. But if you understand how much your status has changed and who you are in Christ and the price that he's paid for you and the access that you have to his throne room, when you understand the access you have to his throne room, you pray different. You pray with a, with a greater fervor. You pray with more might because you know these aren't empty words, but you're trusting in the access that you have, the status change, knowing that you have access to the throne room of the most high God. You act different when you know who you are. 
And sometimes we get lied into in a culture, they're gonna try to put you in a box. If you don't understand the scripture, you're gonna think that this is only who I am. But when you allow yourself to understand what God has said about you, you start to live your life different. And you need to know that you are different. We, we aren't supposed to try to blend in or look like everybody else around us. Why? We're the people of God. I don't expect you as a college student to be, to be acting like all the other college students around you, partying, sleeping around, drinking. Why? Not because you're not a young person, you are. Why? Because you're a follower of Jesus. You're a called out one. I, I don't expect you, everyone's stealing at work and cutting time, punching out early. I don't expect you to, to act like that. I expect there to be a difference. Why? Because you're different than them. You're a holy nation, different, set apart, called to God. So I expect you to be different. We need to understand, value, appreciate, and acknowledge that we are different. And you haven't called, been called to be like the rest of the world. So be who God has called you to be. You're different. Third thing Peter points to us is that he, need, he says, is this culture is going to get tighter? Is this going to get more pressure? You need to learn how to effectively reach people. And here's the advice that he gives to us. He says, show people who we are by doing good. Show people who we are by doing good. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans, which is a word for unbelievers, people that don't follow Christ, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Verse 15, a few verses later says, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Listen, when you follow Jesus, you're going to have people write you off because of what you believe. Oh, you believe that? You're an unloving, hateful, bigoted, closed-minded, disgusting individual because you believe that. I believe this is what the Word of God said for thousands of years. No, no, you believe that? You believe that garbage? Then you're garbage. If I would put the mic around this room of different things that some of you guys have heard because of conversations you've had, what you've been called, what you said, you're this type of person because of the things that you believe, I think some of us would be shocked in the room. I don't think that's going away. I think that's only going to increase to different measures to different people in this room. And you're going to have people who are going to accuse you of different things, who accuse you of doing wrong, who are going to accuse you of things you haven't done, accuse you of being a certain type of individual, accuse you of kind of doing this or doing that. And what, what Peter is telling us is this. They may not even want to listen to the words that you speak. Hey, let me share the gospel. I don't want to hear what you're garbage, man. You're this type of person. You're this. And they, they may not want to hear the words you speak. They're going to try to box you in and, and kind of classify you as something, paint you as a broad stroke brush. But what Peter's saying is, even though they accuse you, even though they come after you, even though they say things, live such a good life with so much good deeds that it really makes them look silly when they make accusations about who you are. Oh yeah, you're this and you're that. But don't they, don't they serve at the food pantry? Aren't they feeding a couple thousand people? Yeah. And they do that every, every, every week or every month? Yeah. But you say they're kind of a disgusting, hurtful, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess they do. And they, they go down to the soup kitchen and they go to the jails and they visit people in hospitals. And yeah, I know. And when people start, start they're like, yeah, yeah, I, I, this is the type of person they are. But then they see the fruit of your life. They can't deny who you are. They may make accusations about you. They may say things online. They may slander your name. But you know what? What Peter's saying is, don't slander them back. Don't go at them. You don't even, you know, let the defense of your character be the fruit of your life. And when people are saying things in this, you say, listen, I know you disagree with my, my, my views on these things, but look at the fruit of my life. How do I love people? How do I take care of people? How am I generous with people? And they may and they will accuse you and say things, but you know what? They look silly. The word here is ignorant. They look foolish when the world cannot deny the good that we do in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
And this, one's, this is an area that I want to continue for our church to grow in, is that they write us off and they accuse us, but that we do good to all people, regardless if they have the same views as us, regardless if they're of the same religion of us, regardless if they're the same this or that, that we do good to every single individual. That we're unashamed. We say, hey, listen, but, but why, are you, why are you helping these people? They're, they're Muslim. They, it doesn't matter. We want to love these people. They need help. We're going to be there for them. Hey, these different people, they have different views of sexuality than you. Are you going to say, hey, that's fine. You know, we're going to bless them. We're going to love them. We're going to do this. Why? Because we have the love of God in us, and we want to pour that out to all people of the world. You silence the ignorant talk of foolish people when people see the good fruit of your life. They can't deny it. It boggles their mind. How could they believe this but do this? They can't deny the fruit. Number four, this is important. This is important. Write this down. Expect to be persecuted or to feel pressure, but don't invite it. But don't invite it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 19. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. Now, I have a couple more verses, but I, I want to share this. Here's what Peter's saying there. Sometimes I talk with people, and they're like, Pastor, I got to tell you about the persecution that I'm facing. I go, okay, let's talk. What's, what's going on? Pastor, my job wants to fire me because I'm a Christian. I go, Wow. Pretty serious. Talk to me about kind of what led to this. You know, you've been here for a couple years now. What 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 led to this? And they'll go, yeah, yeah. You know, I I, I don't know. I just I, I just I love Jesus. I think they know that I'm a Christian, so they're kind of targeting me, and that's why they're trying to let me go. And I'm just being persecuted. But thanks, thank God that I'm being persecuted. You know, you know, for for what I'm experiencing in my job. And I keep asking questions. Then I realize, wait a minute. So you just you say you're being persecuted, but you haven't gone into work for the last month. Yeah, yeah, pastor, pastor, but I think that they're persecuting me because of, my, because of my faith, pastor. They're persecuting me because of what I believe in Jesus. But, but your boss told you to come in two weeks ago, right? And you didn't come in? Brother, come here. I think that this isn't one of those persecution, be proud moments. I think this is one of those be wise and do what your boss says, get to work moments. In other words, sometimes I talk to people who are like, hey, Jesus told us that we're going to suffer and be persecuted, and then they go out and say, where can I find persecution to be suffered? What Peter's saying here is, listen, if your job is like, I just want to go like, have someone punch me in the face because I'm being, being disrespectful to them, you can find that. Go a couple blocks over, got a couple places over here, you go say the wrong thing to the wrong person, you're going to get right on the face. Peter's saying, do not just go and look for persecution for persecution's sake. If you're doing the wrong thing and you get persecuted, God's like, there's no worth in that. There's, it's not commendable. There's no worth. There's no value. Like You're just being disrespectful to people, and that's why they're saying bad things to you. Don't expect to get rewarded. But he said there are situations when we, he says you won't get any credit for that, but there are situations when you do suffer for doing good, and, and Peter says endure the suffering. Endure it. And he says, this is commendable before God. In other words, God looks down on that and says, well done, servant. God looks down in the action and says, keep going, faithful one. God looks at your suffering when you do it in the right way and people are treating you wrong specifically and totally and solely for your faith. Jesus says, keep running on strong, servant of mine. And the example that he gives, so there's a right way and a wrong way to go. We should expect it, but don't invite persecution. Don't try to get someone to punch you when you're sharing the gospel, just being ignorant. I remember watch, I watched a video recently, and this guy was sharing the gospel, which is a good thing, right? We want to do that. But he was, he was in a, 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 a South American country, and he was yelling at, he was in front of a club, and he was yelling at the people in the line of the club. 
and he was just kind of screaming things. And I'm like, hey, you know, you dirty heathens, you know, you know, gee, you know, you need Jesus. You guys are going to hell and, 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 you know, you, you guys are, you know, liars and hypocrites. God said there's a place in hell for them and you guys are liars and vile. And he's like, I'm like, not the best way to reach people for Christ. I don't know a lot of people that are like, hey, you're a, a liar, a hypocrite, and you're a fake person. You need Jesus. And they're like, you know what? I do. I am a liar and an adulterer. And a, yeah, can you, right here? Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And the exact response that he was getting in this video is one of like, uh, yeah, you crazy Christian, you this and that. And I'm like, oh my goodness. It's exactly why people think that all Christians are like this because we have bad examples out there of our faith. Bad examples of our faith. The, ver the verses earlier says, respect all people. Same chapter. Same chapter. Fruit of the Spirit, gentleness. Gentleness. And so our approach with people needs to be truthful, but truth in love. Actually, the verses after this talk about speaking truth in love. And we need to be truthful with people. You love people. You know what the Bible says draws people to God? People that are totally lost in the darkness, don't want to. You know what draws them to God? You know what the Bible says? The kindness of God leads people towards repentance. The kindness of God leads people to a changing of their heart, a changing of their ways, a turning to God. The kindness of God. What draws the unbeliever, the person that doesn't know Jesus, is not simply the fire of hell. What draws them is when you start telling them about how lost you were, how blind you were, how broken you were, and how Jesus has transformed your life and transformed your marriage, and how he's made you new, and how he's washed you of your sins, and how he's called you to be his, and he's called you onward and forward in him, that he supported you when you have cancer, he upheld you when you were going through your situation. When you know and you tell the world about the kindness and the love of Jesus, the Bible says it draws people to the change that you actually want. And it gives us an example of Jesus. It says, you want to know how to suffer right? Look at the example of Jesus. Verse 21. To this you are called, to persecution, suffering, to different degrees, pressure, persecution, suffering, we will all experience at different degrees. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Listen to this verse 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. You know how hard, and my, man, if I knew I had a legions of angels at my disposal, and when they, when the, when the, if you read in the gospels, they blinded Jesus and they were beating him and they said, prophesy to us, Jesus, which one hit you? I don't know. I'm not Jesus. My flesh, I would have been like, oh yeah, Lord, bring the angels right now, Lord. Just <laughs> shoom. <laughs> Jesus had all power and might in his hands and yet he restrained himself. He suffered and made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself. Here's the key. He entrusted himself to God who judges justly. You know what, God? People are going to treat me wrong. They're going to say things about me. They're going to do this. You know what? You're the judge. I'm not going to have a gavel in my hand. I'm going to trust that you're going to be the judge, and you're going to judge justly, God. You see what's going on. You see how I'm suffering, but I'm not going to take it into my own power. I'm not going to throw insults back at them. I'm not going to try to make threats or do this. I'm going to follow the example of Jesus and say, you know what? I trust the judge who judges justly. I'm entrusted. I trust you, Jesus. I don't know where this is going to go. I, I, I trust you. And last but not least is this. Convince, be convinced of the power of the gospel. First Peter, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. By the way, Peter is quoting Isaiah. Isaiah wrote this. It's Isaiah chapter 53. He wrote this 700 years before Jesus was ever born. It's prophetic scripture from God. By his wounds, you will be healed. Peter is reciting Isaiah 53, 700 years before Jesus was born. You will be healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseers of your souls. You were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. 
as the environment gets harder to live in, as the pressure becomes heavier in our shoulders and minds of living for Jesus and, and standing up for what's right, there will be different costs for every single one of us in this room. But I want you to be convinced of something, that what the world needs more than everything else that we can offer, more than the food pantry, more than all the, we do tons of ministries here, more than all the ministries, all the resources, better than just an education system or criminal reform, all of those things are good, all of those things are needed, but you know, more than, more than feeding every person in the city of Chicago, all, all the things that we could do, visiting every inmate, resources, help, this, out of all building orphanages in every county of everywhere, all that's good, but you know what the world really needs? What the world is dying for, what really will transform our world is the gospel of Jesus. The hope of the message of what Jesus has done. And I want our church to be the name in the city. We are 27 locations. We're in Little Village and Humble Park and Montclair and uh, Montgomery and Elgin. We are all over the city. We're in Indiana. We're in the suburbs. We're in the city. We are spread out as a church all over the city. I want our church to be the name. Do you know we, we fed the most amount of people in Chicago over the last year and a half? Almost 2 million people. This church. This church. 2 million people. There's no one in the city of Chicago that fed more people. 2 million. You're a part of that movement. And I want us to embrace that, but you know what? At the end of the day, I do that because we do good to share good news to bring new life. I, I, I want to take care of the city. I want to provide food to anybody of any belief and any background and any this, any that. We want to take care and love people through the things that we do. I want to be the name in the city that does it. It's just the people of God. You know, when I talk to these, and these are private conversations, but when I talk with them, they're, they're like, hey, listen, you know, we just want to kind of brag about new life a little quick. We, we are so, we literally have changed our entire model of how we've done food because of the work that new life has done. It's a secular organization that we're working alongside the name in the city of Chicago. And they're like, Hey, we've, we've kind of rethought the whole model because of how the people of God have stepped up. That's what they're saying. And, and you know what it makes, allows us to do when we, when you're able to do this good, the world looks at you. We've been in, we've been in publications and this and that, all that type of stuff. You know what it just, we just go like this. It's him. We want you to know it's him. We want you to know that we do this because of what he did. And ultimately, our goal at the end of the day, our highest achievement at the end of the day is to lead people to Jesus because you can feed bellies and souls could go to hell. And so we want to feed bellies and we want them to ultimately get to know Jesus so that they can live a new life in Jesus that only comes by the washing of your sins, by the blood of Jesus that was done 2,000 years ago. Food is just the means to be able to give our message so we can have the transformation. That's why we do good. And not everybody that goes through the food pantry will come to God or one of our ministries, but you know what? Every seed planted is an opportunity that one more soul is saved and an eternity celebrating with us and saying, thank you, church, because when I was lost in the darkness, God sent you so that I could know him and experience eternal life in heaven. Amen? Let's stand. <laughs>